0: (laughs) Oh. Scrapper fans, It's time once again for two different generations of professional wrestling fans to watch every match that they can get their hands on that Dave Meltzer, from another generation of wrestling fans, has rated five stars or higher in his Wrestling Observer newsletter. It's Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is my co-host, Simon Cross. And we are at the final stage of a mini-odyssey within itself, a self-contained story within the larger narrative that is... The Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat series of matches in 1989. We've already covered three of them. The Chi-Town Royal Rumble, where Ricky Steamboat won the title. The Landover-House match that Meltzer happened to be in attendance and said could injustifiably be five and a half to six stars. And the two out of three falls epic at Clash of the Champions 6. And we're now at the final match of this series. Ric Flair has only this one last shot... At winning the title from Ricky Steamboat and we're in Baltimore Maryland quite close to Landover one would assume I don't know geography that well but if they're both in Maryland you got to think they're relatively close and it is Music City Showdown and it's oh wait a minute maybe that's the wrong one no this is Music City Showdown so it should be in Memphis, really, not Baltimore.
1: There are several music cities across the US uh, that are kind of playing to the
0: title. Yeah. Why? I want to make sure of this, because the like the big logo is a banjo. With spikes coming out of it. It is the music scary. city. Scary. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think Baltimore, <laughs> oh, I can't remember. I don't know much about American music culture to say why it's a music city, but it is one city. Oh, no, it's in
0: Nashville. I got it wrong. Oh, it was Nashville. They're in Nashville. I don't know why I got Baltimore. Uh, but there we go. So they've been in Chicago. They've been in Landover. They've been in New Orleans. And now we're in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, for the Music City Showdown for Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat in a match that is often cited, Simon, as the greatest wrestling match of all time. Like before, yeah. I mean, really, it genuinely is often cited as such. It's a big statement. It really it is a big statement. Watching the match can you understand why some people would say that? I can. There's but you still don't give it five stars.
1: <laughs> Good to see you've not, you've got over um our I, I debate last episode. I I do have a negative right out the gate. Oh god. <laughs> uh, but it's not an in ring negative. So okay. take it that what you will. What's what's the deal with a pony? <laughs> kids like ponies yeah but how's that relevant
0: <laughs> Ricky Steamboat, as has been the custom through all these matches has entered with his child and his wife the emphasis of this has always been the fam- i guess we haven't really talked about the subtext of the matches in the storylines and the angles is that rick flair who i'm pretty sure probably was married at this point but don't let that stop him is all about i'm shagging ladies every morning noon and night he makes entrances with like a an entourage. Does he is this the one where he comes out with about 20 of them? He has a fleet. Uh, I've written it down as a guard
1: of honor of women. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, JR that. says there's over four, there's 40, <laughs> I think in the guard of honor and he's with six.
0: Pretty good trade off from hero Matsuda. Who's not there anymore.
1: No, no. Um, so he's worth 46 women is what we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, yes. Yeah, I don't know. The steamboat. Whereas Ricky,
0: whereas Ricky's the family man, enters with his wife and his kid. On a pony, he's done that with all the matches. And he's done the the kids on a pony.
1: I just, I just think that's a detail
0: that didn't need to be there.
1: Can't have been nice for the pony either. Like,
0: I wonder if the pony was shitting anywhere.
1: See, this is it. This is it. This is why you shouldn't have animals involved. Kennels
0: Um, from hell situation. I was
1: gonna say that is the stereotypical. Don't get animals in wrestling. Mixed up situation.
0: Let me say right from the start first note I made this is by far the best looking match out of all the ones we've watched so far. The arena's lit well. It's because people are there. The the cameras seem to be of a better quality, or maybe that's just a result of the lighting. The presentation in general, it looks a lot nicer. Oh, yeah. The WWF had WCW, NWA beats at this point because they had a bigger budget. For productions, WCW wouldn't really come close to matching them until sort of the Eric Bischoff nitro years. When they had absolute truckloads of money. So yeah, this just is a better looking match. And also let's say so in the previous matches what we'd noticed is the Ric Flair is has far more um control of a longer stretch of the match and is much more aggressive in the Lando the House match and the two out of three falls clash of champions match yeah what I'll notice with this one is this has by far the least of Ric Flair cheating of all the matches
1: I think that's because of the judges that it's mm. got a weird got obviously to obviously get... it's this
0: idea of co- to get rid of any kind of controversy yeah that was there in the previous match
1: um, it's a unique way of doing it. I haven't seen it before. Um, so the judging panel is Terry Funk, who we've previously had commentate some of these right. matches. Uh, Lou Fez and Pat O'Connor.
0: Like Three former NWA world champions. Yeah,
1: that's their like, link throughout. Lou through.
0: Fez is a proper swat, isn't he? He's <laughs> always making notes throughout the whole bloody thing. He, he goes about the role with great aplomb. Um, Whereas Funk and Bat O'Connor are like the two naughty ones at the back chatting to each other. <laughs>
1: it's weird seeing Funk in a tuxedo. I just,
0: mm.
1: Like From the stereotypical image you have of Terry Funk, I just, I just struggled with it somewhat.
0: It's not that Ric Flair doesn't cheat occasionally. There's a moment where he's got his shin over the throat of Ricky Steamboats. Uh, he argues with the ref a couple of times, but at no point does he use the ropes for a pin or a cradle or anything. Uh, he doesn't hold the ropes when there's a figure four. The figure four comes very late into the match as well. Um, it kind of goes back to the original match in the Ricky Steamboat hat controls a large portion of the opening. Like, maybe again, he might even have the majority of control in this match.
1: I think he has the biggest issue with the ref as well. Uh, quite yeah. Early on, after he... He kind of...
0: He pulls him by the belt, doesn't he? To yeah. get out of
1: his way. So, he's thrown he's dropped kick flair out of the ring and um the ref's like trying to stop steamboat from like going and attacking him ringside and at one point yeah um steamboat does grab his belt and just yanks him back you just you won't get things like that then like yeah in this day and age
0: but yeah rick flair is aggressive at the start they do this great bit where they're just beating each other around the ring they start at one corner and then they work they're up upper... again against the ropes just chopping and punching and slapping each other all the way until rick flair until um ricky steamboat whips rick flair and hits a backdrop that sends rick to the outside but steamboat really works the arm throughout the whole first half of the match it's about steamboat targeting that arm one would assume for his double chicken wing submission hold that won him the first fall and the cradle for that sort of one in the second, uh, one in the third, and deciding fall yeah. in the uh, two out of three falls match. And he's just got, you know, I remember watching this at the time and just being amazed by his arm drag. He has the greatest arm drag of all time. It's like how you know Okada has the best drop kick of all time, and depending on who you ask, either Randy Orton or Goldust has the best scoop slam of all time.
1: Both are very good.
0: Oh, you couldn't. pick or like. Jerry Lawler has the greatest pile driver of all time. Just there's a certain move that someone does better than everyone else. And with Ricky Steamboat, it's the arm drag because he gets so deep and so low. And the flip, of course, it takes two to take an arm drag. And Ric Flair knows how to bump off of it as well. But he does it so well and he holds onto the arm to slap on the arm bar as a result. Did you notice that as well? No, no.
1: um, It was all part of the arm attack. Really, it's it's. I have the amount of times I've just had to ri- I've written down throughout this match, steamboat back to attacking the arm. He is mm. absolutely going for it, and it's seems- so it's
0: like, yeah, usually like headlocks, arm bars, and all that are something you see in the very early portion of the match and you don't see it for the rest. But like, up at the 20 minute mark of this match, this match that goes about 35 minutes, I think, 33 minutes or so, uh, it definitely goes over 30 minutes, but not much longer. Um, they Ricky Steamboat goes back to that arm attack and there's arm bars and, and there's a map base to it. Um, Yeah, and the judges are scoring them on, is it every 10 minute mark or is it every 15 minute 15. mark? Every 15 minute mark, yeah. And Ricky Steamboat does really dominate the first 15 minutes of it and when you get the score, the, what they do is they do updates as it's going on that, they, that a, ref, a ringside ref takes their scorecards and hands it to the announcer, so the announcers give you an idea of where we are as the match has gone on. And so, for the first 15 minutes, Ricky Steamboat is leading 3-0. So, essentially, he's got, like, a 10-9 across the board.
1: Yeah. It's a a weird thing where they don't let, like, the live crowd in, uh, which Mm. usually isn't like wrestling. But, again... Um, it's a benefit you'd get watching boxing on television over watching boxing live. You get the pundit scorecards. Not Well if the... the
0: fans yeah if the fans found out then that means the wrestlers would have to find out. Yeah. You wouldn't really know that. I think it was just a nice little touch to help with the telling of the story for JR Explaining and why
1: The judges were there as well. And yeah. why yeah. the judges were important.
0: And you can understand their their thought process, really. You can see why you would have to give it to Steamboat at the start. But what's interesting, we might as well just go to it and then we'll bring it back to the match. Like when we see the second lot of judges' scorecards, then they're split. And that Funk and O'Connor give it to Ric Flair and Luthez gives it to Steamboat. And that's because there is a bit more of an ebb and flow. But maybe it is because, you know, Luther's is more of a Puritan. <laughs> and even though Flair doesn't cheat that much, it's still too much for Luther's to take.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He could, because it's, you're right, Steamboat dominates the first section, like, massively, and then Flair comes back into it. I think they put the split decision in just so they didn't have it level Mm. uh, from, like, a storyline purpose, and I think they just, like, picked one guy, basically, just to do it.
0: And again, as has been the case where Ric Flair gets dominated at the start of some of these matches, he wants to take it to the outside where he becomes the dirtiest player in the game, as it were. But what's really cool is he does a bit where he throws Steamboat out of the ring, but Steamboat just, no, you don't, goes back into the ring, and that's one of the first times when Flair has to, fight has to kind of to it, beg yeah. off. He just gets him with chops and corner punches. Uh, Flair goes for the Flair flip, but gets stuck in the r- corner. Um, oh, there's a bit where... The ref had to kind of, again, like how in the previous one, the ref had to sort of make an adjustment to the situation that meant he should have called the match a a knockout for Ric Flair because Steamboat's arm fell three times. Flair sort of doesn't throw Ricky Steamboat over over the the top. top, Yeah, I caught that. Which is an automatic disqualification, but it was like he wasn't, touching him when Rick, when ricky started going over the top yeah so the notion so the ref and the ref did these great very visual no it was a momentum thing he didn't throw him over it's like that ref who's the ref who's big on the wild play on gesticulations now in the premiership bald fella oh is it mike is it mike dean yeah, that might be right yeah and, and, and mike riley i can't remember which if a goal is scored from the advantage he actually celebrates it. He loves it. He loves an advantage. He's a tit. <laughs> <laughs> but not but Tommy Young is not a tit. Tommy Young is not the Mike Dean of football referees. No, no.
1: He's He's yeah, no, he doesn't detract from that at all basically. Um I don't really have a lot
0: It's difficult because we've covered Do you think they're repeating themselves or do you think it feels like a different match? I think it feels like a different match. It feels like a different match um, because
1: Steamboat has like now something to target. He didn't...
0: Mm.
1: Before, he would take one opportunity presented himself, uh, itself. Like when Flair missed the knee drop in one of their matches previously. And that's when he locks in the figure four on Flair to try and Mm. level it off. I can't remember if that's the house show match or, or the one after. I think it's the house show match. Mm. Uh, whereas this time he has there's a target already on like Flair and he's just gone in with like attacking a specific body part and it does change the psychology of what he's doing in the ring
0: Mm.
1: I am yeah I think the one thing that's different from Flair as well is because again it's because the judges aren't around he's not cheating as much so we're getting a lot of the stuff from Flair stripped away Which I think makes the match less repetitive.
0: Well, you're not getting Rick having to go for the usual shortcuts. He can't. He has to wrestle.
1: Because there are three men outside the ring who will stop like, you know, mark him down for it. it. It's even like he's
0: not he doesn't throw punches at one point, he throws forearms. Yeah. Like the legal, which you rarely saw from Ric Flair. They're not like really regal European uppercuts. They're sort of across the face forearms. Yeah, they're sort of like more like a more like a Masawa, like the Japanese style yeah. of doing the the, the elbow elbow led forearm or Chris, you know, Cassiopeo Chris Hero style um, forearms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Also, here's one point I like. When he does get control, when they do go to the outside, Ric Flair does get some control, and he chops Ricky Steamboat over the guardrail. Again, a yeah. very popular spot. Ricky Steamboat doing, like I've said, I often say Ricky Steamboat's one of the best pure baby faces of all time. He does such a really simple thing that he basically needs the fans in the front row to help him. Like there's a point where like Ric Flair's taken away and Rick, Ricky's trying to recover and he's literally got his hand on the knee of one of yeah, the like he's... the fans helping him keep stay up as he tries to recover. You know, and it's not like a although I think it might be on a woman's knee. It's not like a lurid you know. No, it's a lot. It's not, it's not Bill. Mur- he's not yeah. Bill Murray in um not Caddyshack. Bill Murray in a uh, Kingpin. <laughs> he's uh, you know it is like a, he needs the fans' energy to help him rally and recover. You know. Yeah. It's just like I say, how Ricky Morton would like literally look out into the crowd and go, "Help me!" You know, it's, it's that it's that thing of he needs the people. I like it when baby faces do that. When baby faces make the fans feel like they're part of. And he feeds what off of it because then he fires yeah, yeah. back up and um,
1: goes straight after Flair. Flair goes on the back foot, he chases and him back
0: into the ring, does a top chop of the top rope, and that's when like, Steamboat sort of gets and, back into it. And yeah. even after all that, then then he does a Flair flip. Uh, chops him when he tries to run across the ropes, snap mares him back into the ring, and puts him in an armbar again. Wow.
1: It's working. In in like mm. his mind, it's working. And mm. if throughout the match, like, Flair... Whilst Flair has moments where he's attacking, it's it's not like... Flair never dominate dominates like we've seen in previous matches. Like...
0: Mm. Or in the previous two matches, yeah.
1: Yeah. He um He's never, like slapping like Steamboat around like confidently, possibly because mm. of the rules, but again, possibly because of his injury as well.
0: He is getting worked over. What's interesting also with this is seeing the fans who are pro flair. And it's it's kind of the closest to the current day problem of like the the grown males who maybe aren't the show isn't necessarily being targeted towards, but they're still going to these shows. It's like he was always the grown males that took to Ric Flair, that liked Ric Flair, whereas maybe the women and children were the Ricky Steamboat fans more. Yeah, You can see that. There are certain noticeable vocal members of the crowd that jump up and cheer Rick on when he hits one of his trademark chops or something. Because Ric Flair does still kind of work here. He threatens the ref. He yells at someone in the crowd to keep their mouths shut because yeah. he's frustrated whilst being in the armbar. But he, you can tell he's like targeting a particular fan that said something particularly vote. He's not just randomly picked yeah. someone, he heard someone and was like, I can play with this and he goes, you keep your big mouth shut and, and the ref actually does chuckle a bit at that as well, you know
1: It's really good when wrestlers do that as well cause
0: it won't... They don't do it as much anymore they're told not to, they're basically told to ignore the fans now at the TV shows It feels like that way anyway it's I think they to... play more with the fans when it's the when it's the house shows, I don't know but I would assume that's the case yeah, there, well, there are no cameras band-tool. to work towards but you know I bet Kevin Owens is really good at that. Have you seen the one where Kevin Owens is yelling at a fan saying how much money he's made over the past few months <laughs> whilst he's holding Roman Reigns in a chin lock and Roman Reigns has to cover his face to show that he's Stop not that laughing? He's laughing,
1: yeah. yeah. Apparently, Owen Hart was an absolute nightmare yeah, 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 on yeah, as well.
0: Yeah. Well, he would have deliberately bad matches, which is like the opposite of what Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat were doing at this time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are some really long two counts from a back suplex. Again, Flair repeatedly going for the pins to try and get Ricky Steamboat exhausted. And then when he gets frustrated at the ref's counts, he tells the ref he'll be working somewhere else when I get there. <laughs> um, oh, there was a really good bit where he caught Ricky going for a crossbody and he turns it into a stun gun. And that really got the Ric Flair fans excited at that point.
1: Well, off the. um, When he sort of bounces him off the ropes, you mean?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't don't have as a crossbow. I don't have Steamboat as going for like a DDT kind of thing.
0: No, no. He wouldn't have gone for it. Like, there was no such thing as like a leaping DDT at that point, I would have thought.
1: I I guess that's me just, like, conditioned now to think that's what people are going
0: for, I guess. Yeah. So, yes. um... Oh, this was a good thing I liked, where Steamboat knocked Ric Flair down with a chop and when Ric Flair came to the map, but he was like close to Steamboat's foot. And so he holds onto his foot and his leg and drags him outside to hit him with a suplex. It's just that kind of tenacity, you know, a real desperate to win. Like, I'll hold on fight. to you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah um,
1: suplexes him out the side, then they
0: uh, they sort of get back into the ring and then like this sort of Flair goes for a su- Flair goes for that vertical suplex back into the ring, which he'd done in all the previous matches. But this time, Rick Steamboat escapes, goes for the O'Connor roll. Yeah. But that was like pointing at Pat O'Connor whilst he was doing it. This is for aye, you. Aye, aye, yeah. O'Connor's like he wins the rest of the match. <laughs> done. <God. laughs> and then we get the popular Ric Flair spot that he's done, you know, with Barry Windham, and, and you know, I think he did with the Steamboat in one of these matches, where he goes for the crossbody and that sends them both out the ring.
1: Yeah. And once they've spilled outside, then Ric Flair goes back to
0: the top rope, I think, once they get back into the ring as well. So he's going back to the well again. And Steamboat again does the press slam. So it's starting to become a repeated spot at this point. Yeah. Uh, then Steamboat hits a superplex, goes for the double chicken wing, but Ric Flair's too close to the ropes. But it's the, what's been set up during this whole time, so that was what Ricky Steamboat was headed for. So he then goes, hits a top rope chop, and then he goes to do it again. But Ric Flair, whether intentionally or not, Gets up and then just falls into the ropes. He falls into the ropes. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit 50
1: 50. I think it's like um, that thing they try and convey where it's like, oh, his ring presence, his ringing stinks because yeah. he, there's, doesn't, there's he ambiguity. doesn't do it with conviction, but he does yeah. throw like he, he's, he's dead weight against the ropes.
0: Yeah. There's ambiguity to it. So Steamboat falls and takes a nasty fall to the floor and his knee's fucked. And this is the first time we've seen any of the knee, and Ric Flair immediately goes for it. Super back into in blood. the. Knee pulls at the knee, does the figure four. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. We might not get another time to do it. Does Ric Flair do the figure four to the wrong knee? Because the knee that he he attacks is always the knee that he twists and puts on top of the straight-lying leg. Now, you'd think the straight-lying leg is the one that's getting the most pressure put on it because you're pressing the other leg against it. Yeah, I think that's the, the premise. So surely he should have done it with... He should have started on the other leg. That it's the one that's straight that he should bend and press onto the the other leg. Maybe there's a reason it doesn't. He has to do it a certain way. I... Well, I he's just forced a habit. Yeah, that that's the leg that he works on. That's the leg he's got in his hands. So logically, that's where he'd start the move from. Yeah, in his mind, it's tough with directional moves. Um... Yeah. I don't think fans, again, it's just something that if you're OCD about it, like we are, we're the ones that notice. It's
1: like when you see The Rock has to do an extra like half lap of the ring because
0: he uh, took the wrong elbow pad off for the people's elbow when he realises. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, um, I'm sure Ric Flair's probably had to answer this in the past. I'm sure there's been at least one nerdy guy that was like, and, and the way Gordon Soley always said it is that it attacks seven points of the knee. So it's like, it's it doesn't matter the, which one you lock in. Because, yeah, like like the one that's bent, he's, in theory, twisting at the ankle point there. Yeah. His other leg's on top of that knee, so he's he's hurting both knees, so both your legs Both are legs get damaged, yeah. Yeah, but it's still supposed to be the left knee that's taking the damage, yeah. usually. You know, it's just something that I noticed. So he goes for the figure four. Um, he chops in a, um oh yeah, he does that, he, and then when Ricky Steamboat escapes, he picks up his leg and it's a battle where Steamboat's on one leg and he's chopping away at him and Flair's hitting the knee, Yeah. trying to... No, they're both going for their strength. I think
1: he's just going for hammer fists at this point now. Yeah, yeah. There's no, like... That was also-
0: yeah, it was always interesting as well when, when Ric Flair would slug it out with Steamboat. In all the matches, I never pointed this out before, that oftentimes when Steamboat's going for chops, Flair isn't responding with chops. He's like forearming the back or doing a rabbit punch to the stomach. He doesn't. Yeah. It's never chop versus chop. It's never like a Kabashi Sasuke thing. Or oh, like when know? they do
1: trade chops, it's just like, oh, he fired one back. It's like a one-to-one. It's not You're a not, prolonged yeah. period.
0: Yeah, yeah, when it's prolonged, Rick's like doing forearms to chops. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just how Rick prefers to do it. Um, but yeah, he does. So he attacks the knee, and then we do the repeat thing where Ric Flair woos in that moment. In that moment's opening. Steamboat hits the Enziguri, and then Steamboat does a fantastic wobbly leg, like he's got no strength in it anymore. Picks up Ric Flair for the slam, and in a repeat of the WrestleMania three spot where Ricky Steamboat beat Randy Savage for the belts, the knee buckles. Flair turns it into a cradle. Flair gets the three count fair and square in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. Ric Flair is the six-time world champ at this point, I think. Yeah, I think he joins um, uh,
1: Lou Fez, and it's Harley Race who had seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But again, it's one of those ones where Harley, Harley Race really had like nine, and Ric Flair really had like 23. But, you know, it's yeah. just what, what he, how you're counting it. But then, And then Ricky Steamboat raises Ric Flair's hand, and it is a baby phase victory as much as anything because the very next angle I don't know if you continue watching did you I did I did uh, I just do want to say as well um
1: it's well we sort of covered in the post-match interview but you can see in the body language that those two after everything they've been through uh, I think because they, they, they respect each other like you know it's just well, like,
0: like, I, like I said it's like they've been peers the whole story is they've yeah. gone up through the ranks at the same time this is like one of many times that they fought each other over increasingly valuable top championships.
1: Yeah, I just think if they did any did it any other way it would have been especially considering what they did do next. It wouldn't have worked. I think they had to do it where they recognized each other.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also because Steamboat wouldn't be asking for rematches. This isn't like now, you know, Ric Flair got fifty rematches and Steamboat doesn't get one. Because what happens after this is Terry Funk, one of the judges, who'd also been commentating in the previous match and saying how much they did make allusions in the in the two out of three falls match that Terry Funk hasn't retired, but he does say, Oh, these guys they're they're making me think I shouldn't do this anymore And Terry Rick Funk Flair... Terry Funk is this sort of insecure madman. <laughs> Terry Funk was brilliant in that three minute spell at being a proper dick. Yeah, like, well, it's it's great because it's like he his his feelings are hurt and he takes it really like he's he's hurt emotionally and he lashes out in the nastiest way possible. Oh so God, just, yeah. You're saying I'm you're saying I'm not good enough, Rick? And it's like Rick come back
1: with a valid point. He's like, no, yeah. there is a list. You aren't <laughs> on it. <laughs> It's like we have go at the door. Man. How dare that banana
0: nose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I turned off after. Um, the... Did you catch the handstand pile driver? I, I did see the pile driver onto the table. And mm. it was just the fact that the table did not move even slightly.
0: I was like, oh, uh! that's a hard table. Yeah, I am the table. And of course, Ric Flair then is like is is sold as like a career-threatening neck injury, and you might never come back. But we will return to that feud when we have to return to it later on in this series. In the meantime, Simon, that is the end of this quadrilogy of matches. Are you gonna give this one five stars? Part of me wants to say no because you've set
1: it up, but yeah, this was really yeah yeah this was actually really really enjoyable Mm -hmm. there was like a sound strategy Um, there was nothing in this match there was no minor quibble I had apart from the little bit I noticed with that him going over the top rope
0: but the ref covered that so smoothly Mm. um I wonder if it was because he was meant to go over the second, but Ricky Steamboat's more accustomed to the top rope bump because he would have worked in the WWF yeah, for so long fine where go. that wasn't a DQ. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. they just wanted to give it so that it was a hard bump, but it was... Like I said, Ric Flair's hands weren't on him, so you'd think yeah. that maybe it was deliberate.
1: It was just momentum. Like Steamboat's own momentum that took him over. But no, yeah. like this, this told a really great story. Um, it called back to previous parts of the feud. It was 35 minutes, but it felt shorter yes yes and the when we had the contention uh last episode when you gave a five star rating and i didn't and i said one of the reasons were it was just sapped out slightly um i do want to put a case for myself there in saying that i think if you had shaved like just like two maybe three minutes off that match I possibly would have agreed with you, whereas. This... But then you were complaining that the first four was too short. The first four was too short, yes. Like the first
0: four came too early. I just well, we can't we can't argue that case again. But like sometimes a fall should come as a surprise. Like you know, Okada surprises Omega with the cradle in their two out of three falls match, the seven star match. When we get to that, <laughs> so I'll be curious to see if you bring that up as a criticism. Then we'll see. We'll see. We'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Not bitter. You're not bitter at all, are you? No, no, no. (laughs) But this is the thing. thing. I think think the reason this is the only one of these that you gave five stars is you're thinking of it within the context of this self-contained story and that this is like the apex. And therefore, because this is the best one, this has to be the only one that's five stars. If it had ended with just the two out of three falls match, maybe I think then you would have given that match five stars, even if it was the exact same match. No, it was too long. No, I, no, Well, we've already said I disagree with you there, but that's why I wanted to give that one five stars. I didn't want to say it's like, in order for it to be five stars, then, you know, because it's this is a better match, but that doesn't mean the other one's not five stars, you know? There's like a certain level of quality you get at the point when it gets five stars. Just because it's the best Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat match doesn't mean it's therefore got to be the only one that gets five stars because I, too, am giving this one five stars. So this is my second five stars, my second in a row, your very first one. It took me 17 matches. It took you 18, but we finally got there. Well, technically, it took us um, 15 and 16, if you don't count the match that we haven't seen in the uh, the match we saw in highlights. Yeah. But when people say this is the greatest wrestling match of all time... And some people will still say that. People who like their NWA, if they think like the 80s NWA wrestling was the best sort of wrestling, then they'll probably stick to that.
1: Yeah. I do want to just say that it's not because it's the end, like the the, the match number four. That's not why it is the best in my opinion. I
0: think it might be subconsciously, that's my point. I might be pointing out something you haven't been aware of in your assessments.
1: Uh, I just think like the, the cadence of this match and the psychology of this match It's just perfect. (laughs) I don't... But that doesn't mean... But We said a match doesn't have to be perfect to get five stars. No. No, it doesn't. But that's why this one is to me.
0: Okay. Do we have anything else to say? We'll see Ricky Steamboat and we'll see Ric Flair again, but we won't see them together in the same ring again. They would still have some more matches. In 1994, Ric Flair had a match with him at Spring Stampede that ended in a controversial finish. They were both... Technically, faces at that point, but Rick was sort of heelish. And then they had a rematch at Saturday Night when Ric Flair vacated the title, and Ric Flair won that match. And then that set—that was the setup to Hulk Hogan turning up and Ric Flair turning heel, and the Hulk Hogan WCW run. But do you have anything to add about this quadrilogy? What do you think of it as a series of matches? Having seen it all now, I can understand. I said at the start of this. The first
1: episode of this quadrilogy that um I was nervous going into this because this is talked about so highly. I get it, I really do I, I understand why people are drawn to these like series of matches like from beginning to end. this is a really now we don't have to look at an individual match and we like we've had our discussion about the matches as individuals Now we can look at the collective it's a really great narrative throughout mm. It's, it's just great. It's great storytelling. It's beautiful. And
0: that Ric Flair ultimately has to go to his own wrestling ability to win. Yeah. Because he's so used to cheating. He's forced. Almost, it's almost like Ricky Steamboat brings out the best in him. Yeah.
1: He's forced
0: to use his talent. Hmm. Like and I think... And it also works that this is around the time the Four Horsemen have disbanded and so Ric Flair's on his own for the first time. Yeah. After Matsuda leaves as well. And I think
1: that I think that's the whole point when they shake hands at the end. I think that's what meant to, that what Ric Flair possibly could be conveying. I could just like be reading too much into this, but well, Steamboat he, he, always he said sort of has I, an assurance yeah. about him now because he's like, "Oh, I am good."
0: Steamboat's reminded well, me how good I am. He never disputed that he was good, but he's never been challenged in that way. He would never say. Steamboat brought something out to me. That's something we're extracting from it yes, ourselves. No, no, no. That's, that's oh, me and analytical I'm, as we I'm are. going between yeah. the lines. No,
1: Flair doesn't say that and yeah. doesn't say that throughout the feud. But I think the narrative, not reading between the lines, that could be like what Flair's going through at that point.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, I think we've talked the arse off of this series of matches, haven't we? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's always difficult with because um, this is the second time we've had to sit through, had to sit through. Sounds poor, but um, this is the second time we've had to go through a series of matches with the same individuals. Um...
0: Do you what do you think to the criticism? Because you made a you made a comment when we were like we we message each other in between uh, recordings, um, and you said. In one of them, but it seems like you've almost gone against it now that you can see what Bret Hart's criticisms of Ric Flair repeating himself are all about.
1: I can. Um, A lot of his stuff is the same.
0: Well, there's a lot of stuff in this that was in the Barry Windham matches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But But Bret Hart had the same move in the same spot. But
1: since then, uh, since I made that comment, I have been thinking of uh, the Bruce Lee quote. Um, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. And you have to think of people do have signature manoeuvres like in combat sport. Mm. Like that is just it. Whether it be um, the wild windmilling of a heavyweight boxer like Deontay Wilder or the uh pure athleticism of an anthony joshua or mm. be the cockiness and sort of counter-punching of a conor mcgregor like that's just who they're, they're not going to like start doing different moves from an entertainment standpoint so why would? Yeah,
0: but again you're looking but you're looking at a sports angle and these are entertainers
1: yes but don't forget this is entertainment masquerading as sport
0: so wouldn't yes, it make sense they, that they would they... act
1: in similar manners
0: Yes, but you don't want to bore an audience with the same stuff. Look, I think the criticisms of Ric Flair become valid the later on in his career when he stops having the five-star matches. Yeah. One of the worst examples I can say, and where you can argue that his psychology does let him down, who are us to bloody criticise Ric Flair, but, you know, that, that's what we're going to have to do for this. So, ignore me, and don't dispute that Ric Flair knows more than I do, but... Like, I was watching, like, one match I was really excited to see when I had the network was a match where he took on Hulk Hogan very early into Hulk Hogan's NWO period. It was a clash of the champions. And I wanted to see what a face Flair versus a heel Hogan's like. And they did the old heel Flair face Hogan spots. Like, Hulk did the Hulk up, and Flair was desperate and trying to cheat and everything. And Flair was whipping, being whipped into the corner and backdropping, and he was being pressed, slammed off the top rope. And then again in ninety nine, there's a time where Sting briefly turned heel and Flair was on the face side against a heel sting, and they just did the same Ric Flair Sting spots of him going for the chop and it not bothering Rick Sting, Ric Flair backing off and being scared and Sting hitting him with power moves.
1: And you have to think by his WWE when he comes back to the WWE,
0: he doesn't really Well, you know, he physically can't he go. He physically can't that. go. And... I mean it's amazing that he could go still at forty like that's that's how old he is at this stage again considering the plane crash as well yeah and everything else and just the fact that he puts his body through this stuff 30 minute matches like this every single time he goes out and wrestles he obviously had he has some sort of physic physical abnormality that somehow allows him to keep going naturally there must be something innate within him that can take that many back bumps that because he wrestles at a high intensity at a long pace for a long at a quick pace for long stretches. Well, you look at his da- and he did that into his well into his forties and even fifties, arguably. Yeah.
1: Well, you look at his daughter and you, don't, you just look at the genetics. That yeah. is athlete yeah. DNA.
0: Yeah. But even then, Charlotte has not been pushed in a way that Ric Flair has no, pushed.
1: No. But
0: look at the things she can do. Mm. But anyway. I think we've come- we've still got some more layer matches to go. We've still got at least one more Ricky Steamboat match to go, but I think it is only one more match, and it's different to a one-on-one match. So we'll we'll save off our final comments on those guys for then. But until the next time, Simon, how can people get in touch with you? Um, people get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so
1: known as Simon Cross Free, uh, so known because uh, there have been free ratings of five star in this series so far.
0: Mm, cumulatively, you're correct. My name is Luca on That's for Arm Drag, N for November. That's my handle for Twitter, Facebook, email address if you put gmail at gmail.com at the end of it, Instagram, letterboxd, all that sort of stuff. And the next time we will be recording, we will be leaving the NWA and we'll be leaving Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, but we'll be going to a match that may be just as historically significant within Japan as it's the formation the early formation the early days of what will be a fixture for many future wrestling matches on this list a all japan triple crown championship match between guys that we've seen on the same side of the ring in a tag team match but now they're the top rivals of all japan pro wrestling it's the 5th of june nineteen eighty-nine, and it's jumbo saruta facing off against Genichiro tenru so that's did, something to horses. look for. And I, I, I have you looking forward to that one.
1: I am. I, I liked um, watching those guys. Um, that tag match was really, really. I've I really enjoyed that tag match.
0: And, so and of I... course, we saw Tenru before them with the uh, after that and before the Flare series with the team team with Kawada against. And we and we also were still looking for, although we may have already got it by then so I'll edit this out if we've already watched it and reviewed it. We're still looking for the um, tag match with him and Samson Fuyuki and Toshiki Kawada against Jumbo Saruta, Masanobu Fushi and Yoshiaki Atsu. So they have faced each other before in a five-star match, but this is the first singles match and the first one that we're going to be able to get our hands on. Yes,
1: the first one we'll definitely, definitely be able to cover. Um, but no, I, I, I'm i looking forward to this. Okay. My appetite is wetted.
0: Well, we're looking forward to it, and I hope you are too, and you'll be able to hear that in a few days from this recording, uh, from this episode being released. But until then, my name's Lorcan Muller. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.